0: Good morning once again. Good to have you with us. Welcome to Desert Breeze Community Church. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Nehemiah chapter 2. We're working our way through the book of Nehemiah. This is our rebuild teaching series. Today's title is Strategy. Any 49er fans in the house? Ooh, that didn't sound very good. How about Raven fans? How many didn't even know there was a big game on today? Just show of hands. Amen. How many don't really even care? Yeah, right on. We've got something much better to do right now. We're going to study God's holy word to us. There's no doubt about it. As we kicked off the teaching series last weekend, we said this, and you're going to hear me say it time and time again, that we are all broken. Every one of us are broken. And we just all hide it a little bit differently. And it's our brokenness that keeps us from receiving and giving God's love. When was the last time that your heart was ravished by the amazing love of God? It it sank way deep into your heart and it just, I mean, it shook you up a little bit. and, And maybe it even brought tears to your eyes. Could it be, could it be that you just have a lot of brokenness in your life? I think maybe it is. Or maybe you're just too busy, but you're too busy because you have brokenness. It could be one of the ways that you're kind of masking your brokenness. But we're all broken. It's what keeps us from receiving and giving God's amazing love. God is in the business of rebuilding our brokenness. And the rebuilding of our brokenness, our broken lives, is a joint venture between God and us. Let me ask you this. Where are you in the process? What is God's part what is your part? I cannot do what God must do, and God will not do what I must do. Do you have a strategy? Do you have a plan? Failing to plan is planning to fail. That's what we're going to talk about today, this idea of this strategy. Of course, this rebuilding process, the Bible uses terms such as sanctification, holiness, or wholeness. That's what God wants to do in our lives. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray, and then we're going to dive into our our study here this morning. Father God, we are amazed by your grace that through the sacrifice of your Son, our Savior, on the cross, our sins are forgiven, never to be held against us, and our ticket to heaven is secured, never to be taken from us. And for everything in between, our, between our forgiveness of sins and arrival in heaven, with you. You promise to work in us, through us, and for us, making us whole, holy, complete in you. God, we are all broken by sin, and it is absolutely breathtaking what you can do with our brokenness when we give you all the pieces. So, God, teach us through the study of your word and the work of your Holy Spirit a strategy this morning, a plan for the rebuilding of of our brokenness for your glory and our satisfaction in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. Let's take a look at this. Let me begin. Before we read, we're going to do a little bit differently this morning. Typically, I'll read completely through the text. This morning, we're just going to work through it verse by verse, as you can see. But first of all, let's just answer this question. Why plan? Why have a strategy? Here's the biblical basis. Here's your first fill in the blank, number one. God does it. God has a plan. Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. probably a verse that you've memorized. Maybe not. It'd be a great one, too. And it says, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. So God, God has a plan. He has a plan for our lives. It also tells us in 1 Corinthians fourteen thirty three, for God is not a God of disorder, but of peace great verse. He's talking, obviously, in the context of his church and his people. Here's the second reason why we need to plan. Not only the first being that God does it, but number two, God commands it. 1 Corinthians fourteen forty. but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. Proverbs four twenty six says, ponder the path or make level the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. So think about where you're going with your life so that you can have some confidence. And the third reason of why we need to plan is it it's good stewardship. So, it, so God does it. God commands it. It's great stewardship. It's a great way to manage your life. Ephesians 5, 15 through 17, it says, Be very careful then in how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish But understand what the Lord's will is. Live out God's will, God's plan, God's strategy for our lives. Now, this is important to understand. I'm not saying establish a plan and a strategy because somehow you're going to earn points with God. You've got all the points you're going to ever need with God by his grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Grace, we are saved by grace alone grace, God's unmerited favor, God's favor in our life. Grace is opposed to achievement, so you can't earn it, but it's not opposed to action. So grace is opposed to achievement but not action. Grace is opposed to to earning but not effort. So in establishing this plan and this strategy, you don't work for your identity. You're not working for your identity. You don't go to work for your identity. When you go to work tomorrow, you're not going to work for your identity. You are to be working from your identity. You guys see the difference? you have everything you need in Jesus Christ. So out of that abundance, then we begin to establish a, a plan, a strategy of what God is wanting to do. He's forgiven us of all of our sins, never to be held against us. We have our ticket to heaven. That's where we're headed. But in between time, he's bringing about sanctification. He's, he's already purchased, paid in full, everything we need. So we're going to talk about what our part is, what his part is, and in, in beginning to apply those things to our lives so that he can put our lives back together and begin really that rebuilding process in our lives. So you don't work for your identity. You don't establish a plan for your identity. You don't do anything for your identity. You do it from your identity in Jesus Christ. So what's your plan of action to increase your experience of God rebuilding your brokenness? That's where it takes us to where we're headed this morning, plan of action for rebuilding. Let me give you the background here of Nehemiah if you weren't with us thus far. First chapter, Israel has been defeated and scattered throughout the ancient world and uh, are now able to return and rebuild. Nehemiah receives the report that their efforts are not going so well. He is in deep anguish over the brokenness of his people of this city and, and their homeland. And he actually... He fasts and prays for four months. You'll see in our text this morning, verse 1, where it talks about in the month of Nisan. That's uh, the month of April. And he got word back in verse 1 of chapter 1, back in the month of Chislev, which was about November, December. So he's been praying, fasting for at least four months. Now, as we walk through this, what he saw in his homeland and his people is basically a picture of their individual lives. The brokenness of the city, of, of the nation of Israel. Their walls being broken down. No city gates is, is a reflection of the individuals of the nation of Israel. And, and that's important for us to understand. And so that's why we're focusing in on the rebuilding of our lives. Because you need to know this. Your marriage is only a strong... Or any relationship is only as strong as the individuals that make up that relationship. So marriage is only as strong as the individuals that make up that relationship. Therefore, individual wholeness is the key to healthy relationships. Individual wholeness is the key to homes, families. Individual wholeness is the key to strong communities. So this being... uh, the nation of Israel, their hometown, their city, their walls being devastated, that's just a reflection of, of their own individual lives. And so as we read through this in the rebuilding of the walls, rebuilding of the city, it's really about the rebuilding of our lives, reconnecting with God, allowing God to, to transform our lives and uh, verse 1, let me begin reading. And as I said, we'll walk through this uh, verse by verse. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of, of King Artaxerxes, when the wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Anybody remember what his job is here? What was uh, Nehemiah? He's a, he, was, he was a cup bearer. I told you guys not to bring your beer bottles in here. Oh, my goodness. Um, So he was a cupbearer. What does a cupbearer do? Yeah, he's a uh, bodyguard, personal bodyguard. So he would taste the the wine, and he was the wine taster. So Because typically, when they would have these uh, assassination attempts, they would kind of sneak the poison into the wine, drink, food, whatever. And so he was the guy that would test that out, make sure it was okay. Now you'll notice here, so... I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I have not been sad in his presence. And you're going to see why. It's going to make him pretty nervous. Never, you, you should never be sad in the presence of the king because he would have your head because of that. And so let's stop there. Let me give you the, kind of the first point here. So plan of rebuilding uh, or plan of action for rebuilding our lives. Uh, here's the first thing. Think it through. He had four months to think it through. Proverbs 13, 16 says, In everything... The prudent acts with knowledge, but the fool flaunts his folly. So he's he's acting in knowledge. We're to act in knowledge. Proverbs 14.8 says, The wisdom of the prudent is to discern, that is, give thought to, his way. So discern his way or to give thought to his way. But the folly of fools is deceiving. So what are we to think through as it relates to our lives? Three questions we need to look at. First of all, where am I now? He certainly was looking at the condition. He heard the report, was looking at the condition. Once he gets there, he's going to really examine it up close and personal, even that much more. But that's the first question we have to ask ourselves. Where am I? What's going on in my life? Now, typically when I I ask myself this question, I, I do it quite regularly. And one of the ways that I do it is through the Lord's prayer. I use that as the kind of the criteria for my prayer life every every day. As I work through the Lord's prayer, it's a, it's kind of the launch pad for my interaction with God. But when I get to the place where it says, "And forgive me of my sins, as I forgive those who have sinned against me," great place to kind of examine your heart. Where am I? What's going on? And so there are some other questions that I'll ask myself during this time too, is such as, "What is dominating my thoughts? What's stirring up my deepest emotions?" What's moving me to action? Why am I doing what I'm doing? So I, so I go deep into my heart. The Bible, when the Bible talks about the heart, uses that word heart some 800, 900 times. Really important. And uh, so the heart, is, it's speaking of our thoughts, our emotions, our will. But most importantly, something underneath that is our treasure. What am I treasuring? What's most important to me? What am I worshiping? Where's the direction of my life? So I begin to ask those questions. By the way, I ask the question, what dominates my thoughts? Because you've heard this before. The true God of your heart is what your thoughts effortlessly go to when nothing else is demanding your attention. So when you're laying in bed at night, you can't go to sleep, where do your thoughts go? And you've heard me say this, that oftentimes my thoughts would go to work. Things I didn't do, didn't accomplish what I'm going to do tomorrow, or Brain debates of the, th- the, the conversations I had throughout the day. I should have said this. They said that. wonder what they were saying. What, the, what do they mean by that? What is that showing? That's actually revealing my idolatry, my codependency, or my people-pleasing that kind of dominates me. And also my, my workaholism. I'm trying to find my sense of identity, security, significance in these things other than Christ. So what is it that dominates my thoughts? But I also look at what stirs my deepest emotion. And I hate to tell you this, but if you get more excited about that game today than you do about the fact that Christ is with you and will never leave you or forsake you, there is a major problem in your life, and you're just a little bit, you need to be calibrated is all I'm saying. You need some recalibration as far as, that. so what I look at, I look at my passions. If I find myself getting more excited about, you know, even this building that we're building out, I mean, I think it's great, it's wonderful, God's providing, but that's not the most important thing. It's our walk with God. It's the fact that we're building lives. This will give us you know, greater opportunity to build into people's lives. You can have all the buildings in the world and not be building into people's lives. It's about Christ and it's about exalting Him and it's an about, about people being transformed by Him. So, what, what excites you? What, do you? what do you get worried about? What are you anxious about? Do you have anxiety? Do you have anger? There are people that just uh oh, I don't even want to see them. What, what's that about? What about depression and sadness? Things that you just can't seem to kick. What is that all about? See, as you begin to explore what's going on in your heart, that's so healthy, so important. And then also, where do I effort, effortlessly spend my time and money? If you can spend hours and hours watching TV, we talked about it a little bit last weekend. You saw it on the video and you have a hard time picking this book up and studying through it or being a part of a small group. It's Just it's showing where your values are. You're on a course that's not a real healthy course. So you start off as where, where, where am I now? And by the way, the greatest fault is to be conscious of none. Is to not be aware of the fact of what God's doing in your life. Are you aware of what God is wanting to do in your life? Are you aware of his love is there a specific area in your life I could tell you specifically of what God's doing in my life over the last 24 hours my interaction with him as I'm working through the details of my life you can do that you need to do that where are you where am I now here's the next question where do I want to be I know where I want to be I want to experience the fullness of life that Jesus Christ sa- said that he came to give to us. I want to put on display the glory of God. And I know that when I do that, that's where I'm going to find my deepest satisfaction. God is most glorified in us. We're most satisfied in him. So regardless of my circumstances, regardless of the people, things, and circumstances of my life, I could find deep satisfaction in God. And that's how I can put him on display, even in negative circumstances. And... Uh, And then, how will I get there? Let me just uh, let me share with you a quick story here. Uh, We, uh, my wife and I, uh, took a load of kids, junior high kids. We got a bunch of junior high kids up north, and took a load of them. They needed some transportation, so we took them in our car. And so we're driving up to Prescott. My wife was the navigator. I was the driver. And uh, and we've never had much success with that arrangement. we tend to have a little clashing, personality clashing that happens during those times. And so uh, anybody relate to that? Anybody know what I'm talking about? So so she's navigating, and we're pulling in, and we're going down towards Whiskey Row, uh, Montezuma, I guess. And then we're, we're supposed to turn left. She says, oh, yeah, turn left. And so we turn left. We're driving. We're driving, driving. And she goes, oh, I think we're going in the wrong direction. Okay, I'll turn around. So I turn around. We start heading down the road, and we get past Whiskey Row and kind of heading back out. And she goes, I think we're heading in the wrong direction. It's like, oh, yeah. okay, okay, so which, where do we need to go? I think we need to go back the other way that we just came from. I go, are you, are you sure? Yeah, yeah, I think that's exactly, I think we, were just, didn't, we probably didn't go far enough. So we start heading in that other direction and then she says, I think we're going in the wrong direction. <laughs> I'm about ready to blow a head gasket. <laughs> but because we've got junior high kids in the back seat, and they'll come and talk to their parents about how Pastor Ray blew a head gasket and went off on his wife. No, actually, hopefully I live for more than just an audience of junior high kids. I live for an audience of one. But I was a little bit stressed out, and that's a beautiful opportunity to say, hey, where are you? Where do you want to be? How are you going to get there? (laughs) As it relates to my Psychology and my emotional well-being at that time. And you'll have to ask her how well I did in dealing with it. I think I did relatively well. I shoved a lot of those angry feelings way down deep inside of me. It's like... A... Finally, I did pull off the side of the road and lovingly take the map from her hand, turned on the light, said, okay, got it. I know where we are let 's go <laughs> so then we drove there, but it was kind of it was just one of those things. It was just what a beautiful opportunity for me to learn um, that uh, I can find my deepest satisfaction in him i 've been praying a prayer here here lately, and uh, and so how ironic that in this prayer this prayer goes like this in Christ, there is nothing I can do that would make. Him, Christ, love me more and nothing I have done that makes Him love me less. You love me less. Your presence and approval are all I need for everlasting joy. That's good. But I don't always experience it, especially when my wife's navigating. You know, that's a great opportunity to begin to, uh, and then the prayer goes on, it says, as you have been to me, speaking to God, as you have been to me, so I will be to others. Ouch. Ouch. So the more I experience His love, His compassion, His mercy in the midst of whatever I'm experiencing, uh, the more I can share that with others and, and be part of that. So take a look at this next this next point. So how will I get there? Philippians 2, 12 through 13 gives us a little bit of, of what our job is and what God's job is as He begins to, uh, as He continues the process of, of sanctification. It says, work out your salvation. Notice it doesn't say work for. These are people that are Christians. You already have salvation. So he's saying work it out. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to work according to his good pleasure. So it's a wonderful verse. So it kind of gives you this idea. What's God's part? What's my part? Well, God's part is uh, to work in you to will. He gives you the desire, the passion, and then the ability to pull it off. And we are to take the truth and the love of God and apply it specifically to where our hearts are most restless. And so he's saying, and you do that with fear and trembling. Fear and trembling is that I have this, this life-altering, joyful awe and wonder of the beauty and the glory of who Jesus is and what he's done for me that, uh, that ruins me for anything else. I, just, I want him and I want to experience him and I can experience him no matter what's going on in my life. And so, so you get in touch with your restlessness. You're fully in the dot. You go to Arrowhead Mall. Let me explain this. Um, this is kind of one of the illustrations I've used through the years. You go to Arrowhead Mall, and you're looking for a, uh, a store. You don't know where it is. So when you walk into the entryway, there is this, uh, this what is it? It's a, yeah, it's a register. It's a sign. It's, a, it's something. It's a map. And on that map, it'll have this big red dot, and it will say what? You are here. So you got to know where you are. Then you got to kind of chart your course. Okay, I want to get up to this store. So where am I? I'm kind of anxious right now. I'd like to experience more of the fullness of Christ. Okay. How am I going to get there? I've worked in you. God works in you to will, desire, and to work. That's the ability uh, to do that which pleases Him. And so... Do I have this ferocious appetite for him? So what do I need to do in the midst of this, this situation? Now, the tendency, when we read verses like that, we tend to go to one, two extremes. There's more of this pacifism. It's all about God. It's all up to him to kind of somehow zap me or take care of me. Then the other extreme is more of a moralism. It's all me. Here's what I've, I've, I've found. And as, as we kind of work through this, and you work this out in your own life, is that... Uh, John 15 talks about abiding in Christ. You guys familiar with that text, John 15? It's not on your cross references, but you could jot it down and read it later. But he talks about the, 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 uh, the branches and the vine and, and how if we are connected to him, if we are abiding, he uses the word abide or remain over and over again. So this is what I'm learning in my own life, is that the more I abide, and the word abide means to make your home in Christ The more I abide in him, the more I make my home in Christ, in Christ's love, reflecting on it, enjoying it, saturated in it, the more fruitful I'll be. I want to experience the fruit of the Holy Spirit regardless of the people, things, and circumstances. So I've got to abide in him. I just walk with him. I I experience his presence. You're going to see this in the life of Nehemiah. You can almost see this sense that he's just abiding in God. God through the events of his, of his life. The fruit of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The fruit of the Holy Spirit will happen more as you are more and more swept up into intimate, loving encounters with Christ. Uh, so, so 24-7, it just makes sense. Where am I? I want to be... In his presence, I want to cultivate this closeness and this level of intimacy so that I'm so saturated with his love that no matter what I face, I have in him everything that I need to face those things. So, so I'm learning to apply the love and truth of God specific to where my heart is most restless. Sometimes when I pray and I, and I get to that place in the prayer and say, uh, forgive me of my sins. God, what's going on in my life? Where am I? I begin to apply specific truths. God, what do you want to speak to me today? Specific to where I am and how you can help me as I navigate through life and put you on display and find my deepest satisfaction in you. Verses 2 through 5, let's continue reading. So he's in the presence of the king. The king notices that he's sad. Now I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, Why is your face sad seeing you are not sick? This is uh, nothing but sadness of heart. Then I was very much afraid. Because he could lose his life. I said to the king, let the king live forever. Good response. Wouldn't you say? Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? Check this out. So I prayed to the God of heaven. You hear what he's doing? I mean, he's in conversation. So 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 my wife's navigating for me, and I'm getting really frustrated. So I prayed to the God of heaven. That's a good time to do that. God, help me. God, I'm getting stressed out right now. And there was a number of things. My lower back was killing me. My head was pounding. And I, you know, I could blame it all on that. But in that moment, it's an opportunity for me to have an encounter with God so I can respond to my wife with love and put on display the glory of Christ. I mean, it's it's and so that's what he's doing here. It's really great. He, in fact, this, this book is saturated with prayer. And you see this guy, he just has this communion with God, this, this habitual, conscious awareness of, of God and his presence. And so he immediately just, he talks to God. He says, and so I prayed to the God of heaven and I said to the king, did you notice that? I prayed to the God of heaven, said to the king. Like right in the flow of things. I mean, think about that. I mean, you can connect with God anywhere, anytime, any place. His presence, his power is available. His compassion, his resurrection power. Oh God, I need your help now, Please. That's what he's doing. And so then he, and I said to the king, if it places the king and if your servant has found favor in your sight that you send me to Judah to the city of my father's graves that I may rebuild it. Stop there. Let me give you the next point. So here's, so think it through. Where am I now? Where do I want to be? How will I get there? So he spent four months really thinking that through and then now have a clear picture of the future, a clear picture of the future. He's got a real clear picture of the future. Proverbs 29, 18, where there is no vision, the people do what? People perish. So you need to have a vision. I, I, I saw a, a cartoon a number of years ago, and it was Charlie Brown. Charlie Brown had a bow and arrow, and Charlie Brown would pull the the bow back with the arrow, and he'd fire the arrow, and wherever it landed whether it was against the fence or whatever, he would walk over there and then draw the bullseye around where the arrow landed. <laughs> it's not a it's not good strategy, okay? It's not a good way to live your life. We tend to live our lives kind of by default. Oh, okay, well, whatever, whatever happens. So there's vision. Vision is, in fact, this is what vision is. Vision is a picture of the future that produces passion. In fact, uh, I've got a movie clip here that I want to show you. It's from Patch Adams. And I think they're in a psych ward. But this old guy really defines, really uh, gives us a good uh, definition of vision. Check this out. May I come in?
1: If you bend your medial collateral ligaments, place one talus in front of another, I don't see where you'd have a problem. (laughs) Of course, if there were a news story covering this event, the headline might read, Small Brain Enters Room. Fingers. What's the answer? Oh, you're another one of those bright young fellows who always know the right answer, right? Welcome to real life. Look at me. How many do you see? No. Look beyond the fingers. How many do you see? Eight. Eight. <laughs> Eight. Yes, yes. Eight's a good answer. Yes. See what no one else sees. See what everyone else chooses not to see Out of fear, conformity, laziness See the whole world anew each day Now the truth is, you're well on the way You didn't see something here besides A crazy, bitter old man You wouldn't have come in the first place What do you see when you look at me, Arthur? fixed my cup. I'll see you around.
0: Patch. So vision is a picture of the future that produces passion. And certainly you should have vision for your your life personally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, but vision for your marriage, vision for your parenting, vision for your job, vision for every aspect of your life, and that is overwhelming. That's crazy to try to have vision for all these different aspects of our life. Well, let me simplify that. Let me just give you vision for one thing, and that's vision to know and experience God. In fact, I I like what C.S. Lewis says. He says, aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth, and you will get neither. So let me help you to aim at heaven. I gave you a number of verses here, and this is what stirs my heart up and my appetite up for God in in abiding in Him and dwelling in Him and experiencing His presence in my life. Uh, Psalm 1611, it says what? In His presence is fullness of joy. At His right hand are pleasures evermore. Now listen to me. There is no pleasure on this earth in creation that ever comes close to the pleasure that you can find in communion with God. All of the pleasures we have on this earth are just gifts and uh, gifts and pointers to God, ultimately the one where we can find the ultimate pleasure in. By the way... Uh, in the Old Testament, it talks a lot about the promised land, and it uses this uh, vision kind of language to describe the promised land. It is a land of what? Anybody? Milk and honey. Why? Why would it say that? It's, it's giving us vision. Milk, strength, honey, satisfaction, delight. Delight. There is a delight. There is a satisfaction. There is a security that can be found in Christ that can not be found anyplace else. See, that's vision. So, and the Bible gives us all these, these, these uh, verses and pictures of vision. Psalm 63, 3, it's in the context of, of dying of thirst, living in a desert. We can relate to that. But he says that his love is better than life. It's almost like he's saying, and he is, he's saying, there's nothing, there's no romance, there's no finance, there's, there's no job that compares to knowing God's love. And then you've got, um, this is a good one, Psalm 8410. You guys familiar with 8410? It says, uh, better is one day in your courts than what? A thousand elsewhere? I mean, I've had some really good vacations, and he's saying, take the best vacation you've ever had. do doesn't even come close to what you can experience in the presence of God and having relationship with him. That's awesome. That's vision. Do you have that kind of vision that stirs within you? And then you've got the, an, another picture. Uh, this is a parable Jesus gives, Matthew thirteen forty four about uh, the guy that was walking through a field. He finds the treasure. He is so excited. Oh, my goodness. He runs home, sells everything that he has so that he can purchase the field and have the treasure. What is he saying there? He's telling us that that if you could understand who Christ is and you encounter him, that he is a magnificent obsession with a heavenly treasure beside which everything else in life is of no value. You're willing to get rid of everything so that you can have Christ. That's the idea of that parable. Parable. And then uh, Philippians 3.8, that's in the context of uh, the Apostle Paul going through a whole list of his accolades and accomplishments and all the things that he's done. And you know what he says? All these trophies, all these Super Bowl rings that he's got, he says it is, he says it's worthless compared to the priceless gain of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. As you you see, the, see the vision in all of that? And so, um, so you got to have vision. Do you have vision like that? Do you have that passion, that appetite? Here's the next thing. Verse six. Go back to the text. Verse six. And the king said to me. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him. How long will you be gone, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. Here's your next thing. Established goals. So you need to have vision. Vision is a picture of the future that produces passion. But he's already got this all worked out. He's established some goals. He's established some time. He knows how to respond to this question by the king. Uh, 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27, 1 Timothy 4, 7 through 8 talks about spiritual disciplines. Spiritual disciplines are those things that we do to increase our capacity to experience more of God. This is a spiritual discipline coming to church. Reading your Bible is a spiritual discipline. Pray, getting involved in a small group. Those are spiritual disciplines to increase your capacity to experience more of God. Goals are measured by time and performance. That's your two fill-in-the-blanks there. So establish goals. Goals are measured by time and performance. Now, beware of making goals your God. For instance, oh, went to church today. Check that off the box. Goals help you to reach your vision. You establish goals in your life so that you can fully realize your vision. You want to abide in Christ? You want to know Him? You want to experience more of the fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life? So you establish goals. Goals. For instance, let me give you a, a quick illustration. Here is that um, one of the things that I do, and I've done this uh, for years now, and it makes it so much easier. Uh, I used to do it back when they had cassettes, and I had the Bible on cassette, and, then, and I threw those away after a couple years ago when we started getting U uh, version. You can go to U version online, download it on your phone or on you know whatever you got. And I, I've got it on my phone and on here. And so the first thing, when I get up in the morning, I begin to work through the scriptures. Old Testament, New Testament, one proverb, five psalms. I, I, I spend about 30 minutes just just listening to God's word. And I can usually get through, completely through the Bible, at least a couple times a year by doing that. That is a goal. I do that every morning. I've established that goal. But here's the vision. I'm not looking for life lessons in my Bible reading or hearing. I'm craving a glimpse of God that satisfies my soul. you see the difference? So I've established this as a goal and I just go, okay, got that over with. Okay, what am I going to do now? No, I want to have an encounter with God. I'm, I'm craving a glimpse of God that satisfies me. And if I'm satisfied in Him, don't you think I'm going to be able to respond to the, the temptations and the trials of that day? As I face those things? Absolutely. No doubt about it. A vision without goals is but a dream. Goals without a vision are drudgery. A vision with goals will help make your dreams come true. Your progress in rebuilding brokenness will never exceed your relationship with the Spirit of God working through the Word of God In your heart with the people of God. So you want to hang out. That's a goal. Hang out with other Christians. That's a goal. You want to read his word. You want to talk to God through the work and the power of the Holy Spirit working in your life. But the the goal is rebuilding, sanctification, encounter with God, abiding in him, experiencing unbelievable delight in him. Here's the next one. Verse 7. Let's continue to work through this. And I said to the king... If it pleases the king, let letters be given to me to the governors of the province beyond the river that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. Do you see what he's doing here? Not only did he have a vision of where he was going and he had established goals as far as a timeline, now he's anticipating problems. That's your fill in the blank. He's saying, I know that I'm going to be going through this region. Oh, by the way, king, could you give me letters that would let me get through this region? So he's anticipating issues and problems. Proverbs 22.3, 27.12, it says, The prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. So here's two questions as it relates to anticipating problems when it comes to your wholeness, your sanctification, God rebuilding your life. First one, what could hold me back? What could hold me back? What people, things, circumstances suppress or accelerate my appetite for God and an experience with God? We can't feed on a diet of worldly pursuits and unholy entertainment and expect to have an appetite for God that exceeds all other appetites. So you have to look at your life. What are the things that you do? Where do you spend your time? I mean, if you're spending all hours of the day watching TV or in the night and you're not spending much time picking up this book, that's going to tell you a little bit of what you're feeding your soul with. And I know it's a discipline, but it's getting that vision, establishing goals, and that's what's, it, it's going, to, that's what's going to drive you to, to continue to do that. What could go wrong? That's the next question. What could go wrong? Anticipate problems. What could hold me back? What are the things that I do? What music do I listen to? What conversations do I have? What people do I have in my life? There are some people, some of you probably need to cut off some relationships and begin to establish other kind of relationships because those certain people stifle the work of God in your life. And there are other people in your life that help to to stir up that appetite within you. Those are the things. So that's what he's doing here. He's anticipating issues. He's anticipating problems. And then what could go wrong? Two things could go wrong. We become disillusioned by the the pain or the problems of life or we, we are deceived by the pleasures of life. But if we can keep in mind and have this vision, we don't follow him because he makes life better. We follow him because he's what? Because he's better than life. He's better than life. Let me share with you a quick story and then we'll be wrapping it up here this morning. This is a story of a young gal, her name's Sally, she doesn't attend here, but I thought her story uh, is one that we can all relate to because her drug and her uh, addiction is, is to men and this is what it says, Sally who had the misfortune of being born beautiful even in childhood, she saw the power that she could wield "'with her physical attractiveness. "'At first she used her beauty to manipulate others, "'but eventually others used it to manipulate her. "'She came to feel that she was powerless and invincible "'unless some man was in love with her. "'She could not bear to be alone. "'As a result, she was willing to remain in relationship with men who were abusive. "'Why did she endure such treatment?' She had come to look to men for the kind of deep affirmation and acceptance that only God can provide. We all do that. We all do that with something. It might not be man. It might not be a relationship. It could be your job. It could be your physical fitness. It could be money in the bank. We all do that. And that's what creates the brokenness within our lives. It just just signals that we have brokenness in our life because we're trying to to replace God with something else in our life. We're trying to find our sense of identity, significance, security, satisfaction in something other than God. And as a result, she became a slave to love. She even said, men are my alcohol. Only if I am on a man's arm can I face life and feel good about myself. She eventually went to a counselor who rightly pointed out that she had been looking to men for her identity, for her salvation. And instead, the counselor proposed she should get a career and become financially independent as a way of building up her self-esteem. Sally agreed wholeheartedly that she needed to stand on her own two feet economically, but she resisted the advice about finding, uh, finding self-esteem. I was being advised to give up a common female idolatry and take on a common male idolatry, she said. But I didn't want to have my self-worth dependent on career success any more than on men. I wanted to be free. How did she do it? She came across Colossians 3 where Apostle Paul writes, Your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, that stood out to her. When Christ, who is Your life appears. You will appear with him in glory, Colossians 3, 1 through 4. She came to realize that neither men nor career nor anything else should be her life, her identity. What mattered was not what men thought of her or career success, but what Christ had done for her and how he loved her. By the way, that takes a while to get that driven deep into our heart. When we have idols, it takes a long time to get rid of those idols. So it took quite a while for her as she began to drive that deeper into her heart. So when she saw a man was interested in her, she would silently say in her heart toward him, you may turn out to be a great guy and maybe even my husband, but you cannot ever be my life. Only Christ is my life. When she did this, she got her life back. This spiritual discipline gave her the ability to set boundaries and make good choices and eventually to love a man for himself and not simply to use men to bolster her self-image. And that's really a lesson in how we are to rebuild our brokenness. That we begin to learn how to apply the truth and love of God specific to where our hearts are most restless. That's why it's really important to say, where am I? Where do I need to be? And then how am I going to get there? As I work out my salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to work according to his good pleasure. Let's finish up this study. Last couple points here. Verse 8. First part of verse 8. So anticipate problems. Verse 8. Here it is. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, so he's asking for this. This is what I'm needing. I'm not only needing papers to get through a certain region, but could you give me a letter to ASAP, the, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple, for the wall of the city, and for the house that I shall occupy. Stop there. Let me give you the next fill in the blank. Calculate the cost. So he's already got the cost all calculated. He knows exactly the building material that he's going to need. So what we need to do, if we're going to make progress, as God rebuilds our lives, we need to calculate the cost. Here's the cost for us. Tells us in Luke 14, 28. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down, count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Next, fill in the blank. The benefits of following Jesus far outweigh the cost. The benefits of following Jesus far outweigh the cost. I don't know how... It doesn't matter. I mean, I know how tough it is sometimes as you're getting rid of the idols and the issues of your life and the hurts and the habits and the hangups and they can just dog you to death. But I'm telling you, if you hang in there, you don't quit. The benefits far outweigh the cost. It's interesting because with addictions, it's, it's, it's really the opposite. Have you ever noticed how addictive behavior works? It's, it, over time, it requires more of, of that addiction and you get less satisfaction from it. You guys know what I'm saying? So you, that's what drives addictions. I need more. I drink more and more. Initially, I just drank this much, but now i got to have this much, and now it, it's still not even satisfying. It's not enough. It's the law of diminishing return. But there's something about Christ, and it comes under the law of increasing return. And I know this sounds really crazy. I've been, I've been a, a Christian for many years, since I was about 10 years old. I've been a pastor of this church for 20. I I feel like a kid in a candy store at times. There's dimensions of the gospel that I'm encountering at this stage in my life. I am so fired up about Jesus more so than ever before. It's crazy. I mean, I was just like, oh my goodness, what's going on? Because I'm walking with Jesus, I'm getting to know him, I'm experiencing. Because there is this law of increasing return. So all I'm saying, don't quit, don't give up. The best is yet to come, the more you walk with him. Oh my goodness. I, have, I had a, a time just this morning as I was coming in to, to work at, at 6 o'clock this morning. And I was just listening to a song. It brought tears to my eyes. I had, I had an encounter with Jesus right there in my cab of my truck. Tears coming down my eyes. It's like, oh my goodness. There's nothing better than this. I know some of you probably look at me like, what's this This guy on drugs? No. This guy crazy? No. I've never been more in touch with reality. It's amazing. Here's the next uh, point on your notes. Um, Non-discipleship. So, if you don't take Christ seriously, you don't attend church and read your Bible and pray and do those things that will help you to, to see Christ more clearly, non-discipleship will cost you perfect love, abiding peace, unspeakable joy. So what I typically do at nighttime, a lot of times if I'm battling these idols Oftentimes if I'm, my brain's working too hard, I, I will spend time uh, meditating and reflecting on particular verses. And this last week as I was reflecting, just praying to the Lord and I fell asleep and then I woke up the next morning, God gave me such some phenomenal thoughts. And here's a thought that came to mind. And I know it was coming from him, but, but it, it comes out of, and I had to look up the verses later, but it's in Romans 5, 8 through 10. Basically this was the thought. If while we were his enemies... If while we were his enemies, he died for us, reconciling us to the Father, how much more? How much more? How much more now that you are his friends, he will save you by his life. You have the life of God in you through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. So if, if this is what he did for you, so he's given us a picture. If this is what he did for you, well, you're his enemy. Now that you're his friend, oh my goodness, you can face anything. That's awesome. <laughs> and, and, and you think I, you know, I, I had some obstacles I had to face that day. But you think I was able to get through those obstacles with a verse like that and, and the reality of that in my heart? Absolutely, unbelievable. Calculate the cost. Here's the last one. Let's wrap it up right here. I know. I'm way too excited. But uh, here's the last part. And the king granted me. I mean, this story just keeps getting better. And the king granted me what I asked. This king's going to pay for his trip and pay for the supplies. Notice why. For the good hand of my God was upon me. That's the grace of God. In fact, do a study sometimes. Just look up in a concordance, the good hand of the Lord, the hand of the Lord, the hand of the Lord. I mean, you, you see it throughout Scripture. And I, I want you to know that the hand of the Lord is on you. If you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, the hand of the Lord is on you. To open and close doors, he's leading, he's guiding, he's a part of your life. He loves you I mean, he's crazy in love with you. And the more you get that down into your heart, it revolutionizes everything about your life. That's the best thing you can do to bring about the wholeness, is just to fix your eyes on Jesus and to follow him and to abide in him and to learn and experience and dwell in his love. Oh, let me finish this. Okay. Here we go. So, so he said, The good hand of the Lord was upon me. Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Check this out. This is good. Now the king had sent with me officers of the army and horsemen. He gets a military escort. That's awesome. That's the grace of God. That's good stuff. He not only asked and he prayed, okay, God, I need some help. It's almost like God said, yes. Oh, and here's more. yeah. Here it is. Expect great things from God. Expect great things from God. Why is that? Second Corinthians eight nine it says, "For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, so that through his poverty we might become rich. Through the cross, we are unbelievably wealthy." Here's another verse. It's kind of the flip side of that uh, of that verse uh, defining grace. You want a definition of grace? Second Corinthians eight nine and nine eight. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. He's got all the bases covered. He's forgiven you of all of your sins. He'll never hold those against you. Your ticket to heaven is secure, and he's also paid in full for everything in between. Just trust in him. Look to him. Rely on him. Call on him. He is with you. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. God, what a wonderful message you are you're speaking to our hearts, to our lives, and this idea of strategy, God. You've given us a plan of action for rebuilding. And Lord, as we, as we take out time to think through where we are, where, where we want to be, as we, we live more and more for your glory and how to get there, God, how you have, uh, that we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, for it's you that you work in us and giving us the will and the, and the desire and the ability to, to do these things, to live for you. God, give us a clear vision, a, a clear picture of where you want to take us, what you want to do in our lives. And Lord, help us to establish goals that would help us to, to get there, anticipate problems. And may we daily calculate the cost that the benefits of following you, Jesus, far outweigh the cost. God, we are expecting great things from you because you're a great and awesome God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me as I give you a blessing? Next week, we're going, to talk about, uh, we're going to talk about motivation. By the way, how many have ever started a project only to never finish that project? Show of hands. You're going to want to come back next week because we're going to talk about motivation. How do you maintain that energy, that excitement, that enthusiasm for what God's doing in your life? Anybody ever get a little weary with what God's doing as He's doing that work in your life? Come back next week. We're going to talk about that. So here's my, here's my blessing for you. It's 2 Corinthians 9.8. God is able to make all grace abound to you. No, no matter what you're facing. Some of you are facing real difficult times. God is able to make all grace abound to you. His favor in your life abound to you. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound. The word abound means overflow, like a river overflowing its banks. You will abound in every good work. So may God's empowering presence enable you to be what he wants you to be, to do what he wants you to do for his glory, your satisfaction in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. 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 God bless you.